Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Kendra Blake. Kendra is an occupational therapist who works at an intensive daycare clinic for individuals with eating disorders. Kendra also has her own private practice, Blake Wellness, which focuses on balance, body awareness, functional training and self-compassion through occupational therapy, Pilates and rebounding. Hello, Kendra. Hi, Hannah. It's lovely to be here. It's so nice to speak to you. Um, How are you today? Good, good. Um, A little tired. It's been a full-on day, but I think it's been quite a meaningful one. So happy to be here, definitely. Fantastic. Yeah, well, it's lovely to have you as well and to be having this conversation with you. Um, I wanted to start with, I guess, the big question. Um, You know, you work in occupational therapy. So what is occupational therapy? I wish this was a question that I was always super excited to answer but it's always (laughs) such a convoluted answer to give um goodness where do I start and I think I've been asked this since I've started studying occupational therapy so that's many moons ago Um, (laughs) as an occupational therapist I think a big thing is I work through the therapy of occupation which in simpler terms is this idea of everything that you do every single day and I, I take these tasks or activities or occupations um, and try and assist people to make a life that feels really meaningful, fulfilling and um, enjoyable. So I try and optimize this idea of a strength-based approach and people's capacities and abilities to show up in the the roles and areas of their life that they really want to show up in. Um, And I think the, the simplest way that I can say that is ultimately I help people do what they want to do daily. (laughs) <laughs> nice and long. there we go <laughs> no I think I think that was actually really brief and succinct and so articulately put so thank you um and I, I guess it's really nice to have that um you kind of said like the whole life because I think when you hear occupational therapy often people think work um but actually it's so much more such a broader approach to you know day-to-day life like you said I guess what do you specifically do with people with eating disorders or is it kind of the same in that it's just looking at everything in their life that might be a challenge? Mm, I mean I think that's a really good question Hannah and you've named something there as an occupational therapist I can fit into many different settings so I could be working in a, a work setting or in a hospital working through functional and physical movement But as an occupational therapist that specializes in eating disorders and mental health, a large part of my role is being able to come alongside people that are struggling to cope on on a day-to-day basis in a way that feels functional and purposeful and give them really practical skills to do that. So I suppose as an occupational therapist working in an eating disorder facility, a large part of what I do is being able to assist people to not only just do the food, but be able to do the food and be in their bodies and um, integrate into society in a way that feels really, really powerful and meaningful for them. 
I think something that we can hold um, for anybody who's going through recovery is that the eating disorder is something that kind of acts as a barrier to doing life. And a large part of what I do is to kind of step there and say, well, what happens if we take kind of a brick by brick approach apart of this eating disorder, remove that barrier and find alternative ways that you can cope and do life. Um, so I think very similar to the holistic view that I gave, but maybe a little bit more specific to certain areas where we might struggle a little bit more than recovery. And what do those areas tend to be for people? So I think a large part, um, and we can, when we think about recovering from an eating disorder, food becomes a huge occupation that people really find overwhelming. So a big part of an occupational therapist role is being able to come alongside someone who's struggling to do the food. And that can look anything from being able to go out to a grocery store and select food not based on calories or um, health benefits or perceived health benefits to being able to actually prepare the food, put the right amount of um, ingredients into the meal uh, to challenge thoughts and rigidity around things like fat content and good or bad food. Um, but then I can also expand it further and go towards things like socialized meals. So can you go out with a friend and just have a coffee just because, and because you want one, grab a croissant along the way. Um, so that's a big part of the food aspect of the recovery. But I suppose with that is when you're doing the food, your body starts to change. So I suppose when I'm thinking a little bit about an, an occupational therapy role with that, it could be how do you start to feel more confident in your body? If, what do we do around the clothing choices that you have? Maybe it's also looking at your relationship to your body and movement spaces. So are you moving from a way that takes care of your body or is it punitive and punishing? Um, and I mean, those are just two core areas, but I really can go into so much more detail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you, you know, you've picked up on such key and important things in recovery in terms of you know feeling you know how you feel in your body and how you feel in your clothes and the movement and stuff and I guess one thing that I've been really thinking about at the moment um is quite like a new thing that I've not really heard of before but seems to be coming out a bit more is kind of like the whole embodied approach so rather than this kind of historical approach I guess of just the food and following a meal plan and you know how do you feel about food there's so many other kind of aspects to it so it's really nice that you're you're like bringing that into into your practice as well mm -hmm. I mean I love what you've just brought there Hannah this idea of being embodied with ourselves is really about facilitating a relationship with self mm -hmm. and that can be really difficult when you've had a relationship with your eating disorder because it's kind of how do you navigate um this relationship with your eating disorder yourself and everybody else in your life. And I suppose something that I, I can really think about or hold when I'm saying that is a large part of the OT work is how do we become embodied in a way that feels really safe for us within relationship to others. So part of the work that I do is coping skills. So this idea of being able to calm your nervous system if you do start to feel overwhelmed 
or ground yourself in an experience and go, okay, I can feel this, that this emotion like anxiety is coming up in my chest. Now, what do I do about it? Do I turn to something like potentially restriction or do I need to find a way to communicate that I'm anxious to the people that are surrounding me? Mm. Do I need to engage in a, an awesome podcast or listen to my favorite song and put on some smelly incense and take some time for myself. So it's really about when I work as an occupational therapist, learning how to check in with ourselves in terms of our needs and then be responsive to those, those needs as opposed to reactive. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds almost as though kind of like the key part to your work is developing like self-awareness and I think often through eating disorder recovery you know when you're in the depth of an eating disorder I think that self-awareness kind of goes because you're so used to what I mean you know not everybody has let's say an eating disorder voice but there's always there tends to be sort of a drive for performing certain behaviors and I think your ability to choose or like to make a decision is sometimes diminished which I think is why self like that self-awareness and understanding what you need in that moment is so important and how would you work with somebody to build that sort of self-awareness and to understand what they do need Mm. I think that's a really good question and I suppose this is where an occupational therapist differs to someone like a psychologist because the way that I would navigate that is really through skill-based opportunities and that comes through experience so I'm going to give an example because it's probably the easiest way I could do it so let's say someone's come to me and they really struggle to make decisions around food part of it might be because uh, their eating disorder voice if they do have one is kind of guiding a very different choice than what maybe their intuitive or authentic self would choose And maybe another part is actually I don't know what I genuinely like because I haven't given myself the opportunity to try that awesome chocolate bar or that um, really interesting looking pastry at that particular cafe shop. So what I would tend to do is talk to someone around what their past experiences have been and then try and devise an experience that gives them the opportunity to practice making a choice. And then from there, we go out and we actually experience it. We'll go buy that pastry or that that chocolate. And I I know I'm giving the example of food, but I think this is often one that many people can relate to. And then we'll come back and we'll sit down and we'll talk about it and we'll go, all right, if we check in with your body, what was coming up in that moment? Which part of you do you think was loudest? Uh, Can we give this another try? Like one chance doesn't often mean the, the kind of final outcome. And I think that's really important is actually giving yourself the opportunity to learn about yourself is really a big part of my role. Mm, Absolutely. Something that I kind of was just thinking about as you were talking then was almost allowing yourself to make the wrong choice and to make a mistake because, and this I'm kind of speaking from anecdotally here but I remember in my recovery making decisions around food was so difficult because it was almost this is the only time I'm ever going to get this and it made Mm -hmm. it a massive thing so then it was I was terrified that oh but what if I don't like it and then you know this big choice it's it's not going to be worth it but actually you know allowing myself to sometimes pick something and you know it wasn't perfect it wasn't overly nice but it didn't matter 
and I think that's what you have to learn through those kind of that exposure to things making it making the wrong choice or making the right choice and then within that as well you then allow yourself to try new things which I think can sometimes be scary as well yeah I mean for me that just really lands quite gently in my heart it's something about this idea that things don't have to be perfect to be okay Mm. and I suppose a big part of what it is to do recovery is this ability to learn how to tolerate the imperfect that you are good enough in this moment as you are whether you have bed hair or have made the wrong choice on the pasta that you're having for dinner while you're out with friends like it's this idea that um, life gives us opportunities and it's about figuring it out along the way and giving yourself permission to do so and I think a big part of the role that I play is actually being almost that mediator between someone and their illness or their recovery and saying I'm giving you permission now to to learn Uh, and that's I think possibly one of the biggest parts of the role that I really love is being able to empower or try and empower somebody to live a life that feels really aligned to okay I don't know who I am but I've got the opportunity to figure out who that might be and that's quite exciting yeah absolutely I wanted to ask you um another thing that just came into my head um and again I'm kind of talking anecdotally but a big thing um that I've noticed is kind of working on reassurance and I don't know kind of you know how you work with with your clients when you do um when you know when they're in recovery but I think often it's kind of the same thing that we were just talking about in that decision making and I think even when we then do start to be a bit more flexible and make more decisions we do still reach out to let's say other people rather than eating disorder you know is this okay is this like you know is this the right amount or am I okay to be wearing this and I wondered if you've if you've seen that in your practice definitely and maybe what I can say in response to that is this idea that whilst you're trying to figure yourself out it's okay to ask for other people's opinions but not to take them as fact. Mm. And maybe what I I can hold with that is, and anyone who's listening to this who knows me is going to have a bit of a chuckle, is throughout this process, it's about this idea of being really self-compassionate, that within all of this, you're going to have a world of people external to you or um, kind of resources and sources outside of you that are beyond your control that are really going to influence how you get to know yourself and some of it might sit right and some of it might not and it kind of takes us back to that embodied approach where we start to learn from our gut reactions what is right and what is wrong for us and that is a process of being really compassionate to the parts of you that are experimenting this idea that you might not be the pasta girl maybe you are the pizza girl or gentlemen or whomever you might be (laughs) and it's about just really giving yourself this this um, permission to try it out to seek reassurance and maybe validation externally whilst you start to build the capacity internally to give it to yourself yeah absolutely I think definitely just being willing to yourself to allow yourself to make mistakes um is is really really important and I guess I just wanted to go back to 
because you just mentioned the embodiment again of kind of that gut reaction and I think I just want kind of want to go back to it and ask if you had to define it I'm and I'm sure that a lot of people have a different explanation for it but how how do you how would you define embodiment because I think it is a term that people I don't know I don't even necessarily think I know what it actually means Mm, that's a really good question Hmm. (laughs) on the spot Hannah of course (laughs) Uh, I think the sentence that's probably coming up for me the most is this idea of being able to come home to yourself and it kind of takes me full circle to what we were talking about right at the beginning which is this idea of building a self-relationship the moment you can come home to yourself and land within your body you're giving yourself that space to be embodied and to go all right, this is my self-relationship. These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. This is the shadow stuff that I really don't want people to know or see. This is what I put out there to the world. And when you can do that, I suppose the gut really does play a a large role in how you then respond to your environment. Um, And I suppose that takes some time. If we think a little bit about an eating disorder, Uh, we can hold ultimately that an eating disorder is something that takes us out of our bodies. We kind of live um, head focused. We cut ourselves off from the rest of our bodies. It's all very cognitive. It's all very thought out. It's all very controlled. Um, And even when it feels out of our control, there's an element of just being in our heads and not connecting to our body that is really prevalent. And That, I think, is ultimately what I would say is what it is to be embodied, is to create that connection again between your head, your heart, your gut, your toes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I think this is a big old question, but where do you even begin to build that connection? Because I think it's a wonderful idea, but I think for somebody you know, if they feel super uncomfortable with their body and the reason that, well, maybe not the reason, but kind of their eating disorder has given them the ability to numb themselves from feeling uncomfortable in their body, I can imagine then trying to connect to it would be a daunting process. Mm, No, definitely. And that's something I can really empathise with. I I suppose um, maybe what I'm thinking in relation to that is, When it feels unsafe to be in our bodies, we need our environment to be as safe as possible. So a really big starting point is, have you found a a safe space within your immediate environment to start experimenting? Do you have a good friend or family member who's genuinely unconditional in their positive regard to you? Do you have, I don't know, candles and smells and a soft blanket that you can land on when you've had a really hard day? Have you been able to create a space that feels really containing and holding for you? Because I think that is really important and then giving you, I suppose, a sense of strength in getting to know yourself a little bit more. And maybe what I would then say, and this is the very occupational therapist part of me talking is then we start to grade it. So now you've got the safe space and the safe people. What about starting to develop that safe space and that safe person, which is yourself? 
And a big part of that is actually creating time to be with yourself. Mm. Stop the busyness. Maybe you need a five minute window where you just sit with yourself. And eventually it becomes an hour where you can sit and actually do nothing except focus on your breath, maybe the feeling of the grass under your toes. And that is where you start to really connect with yourself. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that, actually, because um, today um, we did like a I think it was only 10 minutes where we just stopped and kind of focused on like how our neck was feeling and everything. And, and I had been feeling absolutely fine. And then all of a sudden we just stopped and my back was aching so much, but I just, you know, because I'd not really been connecting with my body because I'd just been going from one thing to the next, when you then actually stop, you're like, wow, like I do actually, I can actually feel how my body's feeling now. So I think definitely what you've just said and kind of giving yourself that time, which I think can be equally as difficult. I think often the thought of sort of things like meditation and stuff like that can be difficult for people when they're in recovery, but actually as challenges, as challenging as it is, it's so rewarding when you are then able to sit with yourself and kind of just just be at one with your body yeah definitely there's one of my favorite quotes it's actually been one that I've been naming quite a lot this week so it feels quite serendipitous is this idea of doing being and becoming as an occupational therapist a big part of my role is to help people do things but likewise I need to be able to assist people to be able to be with Mm -hmm. themselves and it is that space that kind of uncomfortable intermediate space where you step into the gray of be, being that you start to become someone because you can can then start to learn your likes and dislikes the the things that light your soul on fire that are your passion points and the things that you really want to resist because actually they don't land in your world really well and and it is it's about creating that space so that you can be so that you can become And I I think as a society, actually, we really discount the ability to slow it down, take a step back and actually stop. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's (laughs) I can relate to it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think that's that's such a a nice thing that you said, though, in the fact that you can relate to it, because I think sometimes we can hear people say, oh, you should do this and you should do that. And almost you then think, oh. I'm not doing that so I'm sort of failing but actually we're all humans and we're all working our way at kind of you know getting better at looking after ourselves um in terms of becoming more comfortable in your body during recovery um I think possibly one of the things I've heard you say in the past that you do is sort of look at people's clothes and go through their wardrobe um And I wondered, kind of got two questions in one, the process of that, because I think it can be quite daunting, but also how to become confident or comfortable in a changing body when you're going through recovery. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's definitely probably one of the hardest things that I think people that are going through recovery kind of navigates as body image. And clothing plays a big part and role in our sense of identity. So when your body is changing and your clothes are changing, there's a real identity shift that can take place. Maybe 
I think compassion comes right in for that when I, I think about this idea of body image work and looking through clothes, because if you are self-critical all the time, it's going to make taking the, the previous clothes that were, I suppose, more of an epitome of your eating disorder and getting rid of them, it's going to make that really hard to do because there's a real sense of losing yourself and doing that. So we, we need to be compassionate for that part. Those clothes played a really important role in how you defined yourself and uh, saying goodbye to them and passing them on, whatever it might be, is I suppose it's a sadness and it's a loss. So we need to give ourselves a space to grieve that before we can even start exploring new clothes. And that is where I think having the safe space and the safe people are, is really important. Because if you have the right people around you who can go clothing shopping with you and make it very lighthearted and make it more about the, the crazy patterns on the clothes or the interesting cut of that dress or outfit as opposed to the size, that takes the pressure off of the, the changing body and more about this idea of, oh my gosh, this is an opportunity to display me in a very different way. Maybe I'm going to move from, I don't know, the, the plain neutral clothing to something really exciting and colorful. So it gives you an opportunity to recreate yourself in a sense. And, and when I'm thinking a little bit about that and this idea of being compassionate with that recreation, we also need to know that clothes sit in our body on different, in, in different ways. And depending on when you have eaten, how you are feeling in terms of your hyper-focus on your body, different types of materials feel more or less comfortable, different fits of clothes feel more or less comfortable. And again, it's about experimenting. Do I like wearing jeans? And maybe how do I start practicing with an elastic waisted outfit before I go to something that's a little bit more, I almost want to say restrictive, but I don't want to use that word. Um, because then you can start teasing out your comfort zones and your ability to tolerate different styles of clothes, different materials and different fits, as it were. Yeah, I think... I think you've made a really good point there especially about sort of your identity um and I think I mentioned this on a couple of podcasts ago but for me I've always been kind of like you say in, in the plain clothes and only recently I've started to wear like really bright colorful things which to me are what I am I've literally got a pair of trousers next to me that are pink glitter um and they're flares <laughs> and they are amazing but I would have never got them before um mm. but now it's it's so nice to be able to pick things that are so bright because I'm not thinking oh you know if I wear these bright clothes people are going to look at my body I'm just thinking these clothes are absolutely amazing and they're so exciting <laughs> and adventurous and and that I think is a really freeing um experience yeah. to have with clothes I the other thing that I wanted to ask you was um kind of I think often when people and maybe this is more specific to anorexia when we're talking about eating disorders but there can sometimes be during the process of recovery um people get gastrointestinal symptoms like bloating and oh. I suppose it's what would your recommendations be around those times because I think often that can that can be quite a triggering experience because your body is has changed quite dramatically then but it's kind of a short-term thing mm. 
And I think you've just nailed it on the head there, Hannah, by saying it's a short-term thing. Something that we maybe need to hold within all of this is absolutely everything is transitory. It changes. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's about being able to bring your awareness to that. Like this morning after eating my breakfast, my tummy was a little bloated, but within the next hour it had shifted and changed, for example. And maybe what we can think a little bit about is in that period of change, like with any change, it is uncomfortable. So what skills do we have at hand that can help us tolerate the discomfort? I, I do tend to encourage this idea of clothes that feel more comfortable in the body when we feel really hyper aware of ourselves and our body. But I also recognize that you can't go around in baggy clothes and sweats the whole, your whole life. That's, that too is unhelpful. So we start to get to a point where we start challenging ourselves with clothes that maybe feel more uncomfortable in our discomfort. And then we look for other ways to cope. So again, it might be distraction. Do you have a good friend that can just talk your head off and you actually not focusing on your body? Or do you have a favorite book that you can read that really takes you out of your, your body and into your head a little bit more? Maybe you've got a, a favorite animal that you can distract with and also soothe with. So it's about starting to experience different coping strategies and not using your body or food as a way to cope. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, those ideas that you've just suggested as a distraction will be really useful. And I guess that it ties quite nicely into what I, the other question I wanted to ask you about, which I guess could potentially be used as a coping mechanism for uncomfortable situations. Um, in terms of your view on exercise in recovery? I think what I can really recognize within that is how controversial exercise and recovery can be. And I want to name that straight up because when I look at exercise, I recognize it as a fundamental, meaningful, and really enjoyable occupation. It's what people do. We it's part of what it is to be human, we move. And when it comes to having an eating disorder, that relationship with movement becomes a bit skewed. And we then get this idea of complications that come up quite physically within the body, depending on how we've been taking care of ourselves within exercise and movement spaces. But also there's the mental aspect, is it compulsive, is it punitive, is it punishing? And when I look at exercise and the idea of exercise and re recovery, I tend to want to say that it is possible, but, and that's the big part is the but, is how do we do it in a way that is possible? And it does take a bit of a team effort, both from the person who's doing recovery, as well as the therapy team, the family, the society, the friends that are around that person. Yeah. And I think I completely agree with you, but I guess it's finding that balance of, am I doing this because it makes me feel good or mm. am I doing this in order to feel good? As in like, yeah, I think often it's sort of like a negative reinforcement in that you, you some people can do exercise and it'd be a positive reinforcement and they feel good and they go on with their day whereas I think sometimes it can be a negative reinforcement in that it's the only thing that can relieve that anxiety therefore yeah. I have to ex exercise otherwise I'm going to stay anxious mm. 
I think you've put it beautifully, Anna, really. And you've named something there about this idea of if you exercise as your way to cope, do you have other ways to cope too? So if I was to tell you, actually, this week you're not allowed to exercise at all, what are you going to do when the emotions are sky high and you're feeling really overwhelmed? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where exercise is so difficult in recovery because it's I think it's the realization that actually because it's so normal in society to say oh you know I I go outside for a walk and it makes me feel so good but it's almost stripping back and thinking but if I don't go out for a walk do I just feel a bit kind of claustrophobic in the house and you know that's not very nice or does it affect my mood and then I'm really down or you know I feel really anxious or there's a lot of negative self-talk towards myself because I can't do that Mm, yeah and I think you've named something really quite powerful there about the self-talk and the reason behind the movement space and I, I think if we're thinking from a compassionate lens when we are compassionate towards ourselves there's a really innate part of us that wants to take care of ourselves so the moment that that uh, voice becomes quite critical or punitive because you aren't doing something, then I want you to go, hold on a second, whoa, what's going on here? And take a step back because there's something else that needs to be dealt with before we even start looking at anything around, for example, movement or exercise. Yeah. And so I suppose in a sense, I mean, obviously exercise it would need to be when you're kind of medically stable but Mm -hmm. I suppose it's almost what we were saying before about the exposure in order to determine where your relationship with exercise sits you almost do need to do the exercise in order to kind of cognitively process it Mm. I, I do agree I think to some extent we need to be able to step into a space or spaces of movement and check in with ourselves uh, really curiously. Like, take yourself out for a walk. Why am I doing this? What's it doing for me? How's it making me feel? Can you go to, I don't know, put on, a, I'm a big Mamma Mia fan. Can you put on Mamma Mia <laughs> and take your hairbrush and dance around your room and in your PJs and jump on your bed and then collapse after the three minute long song and be like that was awesome movement mm-hmm. or do you have to be at the gym pumping the heavy I'm going to say five kgs or whatever weights <laughs> you, that you're lifting and and thinking to yourself that this isn't good enough like mm-hmm. where are you finding the the reason to move and yes gym is awesome it can be really really good it's functional movement but are you doing it for the functional movement or is there another reason behind it? Yeah, I love that. I remember it was ages ago now, but I did a podcast um, with Zoe Burnett and um, she's the Barefoot Rebel. And she was talking at the end about um, she had a difficult relationship with exercise and she found, what did she call it? It was something like emo zumba or something like that. And it was all like <laughs> Green Day and My Chemical Romance, but Zumba. And she was like, it's the first time that I've exercised and felt like I was having fun rather oh. than like just just doing it. So I yeah. definitely love your little Mamma Mia um, <laughs> idea there. I think that sounds fantastic. And I, I guess 
that's another question I had if you had any tips for people in terms of I think sometimes the gym environment can be a little bit it can be difficult to navigate and it's almost like mm-hmm. that you know one more rep and you know pain is weakness leaving the body and stuff like that yeah. that's not really I don't think lining up with this with the embodiment and kind of the compassion that we we have that we've mm-hmm. been talking about in this podcast episode I, so I guess what what's your sort of idea around that do you think that that's okay that sort of mentality or do you think it needs to shift you know can people actually enjoy that do you think oh Hannah you're tapping into my stuff here so (laughs) (laughs) I am a big believer that what we do needs to be something that feels meaningful or enjoyable to us and I think when it comes to recovery so much of your life has been to some extent devoid of those spaces that make you feel good So I wonder what it would feel like to give yourself permission to have a little bit of fun, be a little bit more carefree and to let go a little bit. And I I think that's such a big part of what it is for me within my movement spaces. If I think a little bit about why I've uh, trained and qualified as a Pilates and rebound instructor alongside being an occupational therapist within the field of mental health is that, um, rebounding is low impact and it's just so much fun like who doesn't want to jump on a trampoline (laughs) and I can be on it for like a second and I already feel the lift in my mood and the Pilates is this idea of functional movement that really allows you to be mindful around how you move in your body and and I suppose that's a big part of why I love what I do because the people I work with I hope that in some regards, I can offer a different perspective around movement. It doesn't have to be about weight loss. It doesn't have to be about pain leaving your body or sweat screaming or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah, that, that can be awesome at times mm-hmm. uh, because it does feel good to push your body and go, actually, I know where my limits are. But does that always have to be the way that you do your movement? Or could it be the walk with your favorite dog and uh, jump on your bed with Mamma Mia playing in the background. <laughs> yeah. yeah, something I'm very passionate about for sure. Mm. I, I think it's I think it's really important. And so I guess the million dollar question is, how do you find enjoyable movement? Mm. I think there's something to be said about the power of community that makes a big big difference. And this idea of allowing yourself permission to not have to move independently for your own goals, but rather moving with others to experience what it is to really connect. And I think that's often where, as a practitioner working with an eating disorders, I encourage as a first step, this idea of taking yourself to a community-based class where you're surrounded by other people and you, you can witness the different relationships people have with their bodies with themselves and with movement because that's where you get to I suppose broaden your own perspective around how you move in your body whether it be attending something like a Zumba class or the Pilates mat class or maybe um, a walking group whatever it is be do it with others first because it also gives you an opportunity to learn from other people 
and then maybe even experience a completely different form of movement that you never would have exposed yourself to by someone saying, actually, have you tried archery? Like, that's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I've never even actually thought about that, which I don't know what that says. Um, <laughs> I've always been very much a do my own sport, but I think that's a really nice. And I think, you know, even within, if if the gym is something that you really enjoy, that can still be something that has a really big community feel. I think mm-hmm. sometimes when people are in the gym, it can kind of be quite isolating because, you know, people don't, necessarily talk but even just kind of having a gym buddy or speaking to somebody whilst you're there I think can make the whole thing so much more enjoyable so thank you for those tips um I have got some questions from the listeners for you which this is it's not new now I think I've been doing this for a fair few weeks but it's my favorite part because (laughs) I like send it out to people and then everyone sends in their questions like why didn't I think of that um so the first question, how to support someone trying to get a better quality to their life when they have no idea what they enjoy doing? I think that's a really powerful question. And again, I think it comes back to those safe people and those safe spaces. If you are that person that is supporting someone with who's recovering from an eating disorder, how can you ensure that they feel safe enough to experience experiment and play can you be that person that is enthusiastic enough to say yo I've just booked us in for a pottery session this Saturday (laughs) and get them out and trying something new and even yourself I think there's something to be said about supporting someone recovering from an eating disorder it can be exhausting and hard work and we lose track of this idea of the reason why we're taking care of somebody else which is We're doing it because we want them to feel cared for, that they've got something meaningful to look look for in their life. And it becomes a bit like a, you need to get better now, as opposed to why can't we enjoy this journey? This is part of your life. So I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, if, if somebody is listening and possibly they don't have somebody that can support them all the time just kind of being able to put yourself into different situations whether like Kendra said pottery or any activity I guess it goes back to what we were saying earlier in that you can make mistakes and you can try something and think oh god that was awful about why do people enjoy doing that but you then know that it's not for you and you go and try something else so I think Mm from that question what I see is the worry of doing something that you don't enjoy but actually just trying it the skills you'll develop from just trying it would be really beneficial yeah definitely 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 um and then another question is which psychological therapy sits best with occupational therapy (laughs) I don't know which one sits best for me (laughs) Uh, So a big frame of reference to me is compassion-focused therapy. Um, But I think kind of in general within occupational therapy, our frame of reference is a behavior type model. So that's often where we work from. Um, I, I would say ours is very integrative. It's very holistic. We kind of pull from everything and everyone. So I actually don't have a black and white answer for that one. 
<laughs> which is good I think not being black and white in eating disorder recovery is definitely <laughs> a positive um and then the third question and I guess this will you support someone until they are recovered or will you discharge them at the first opportunity oh well I think my my heart goes out to whoever's asking that because I think there's a, a real fear in this idea of being left whilst you're still doing your process um, and I suppose maybe what I'm, I'm curious about for whoever asked that is what does it mean to have this and have to feel like you're doing it alone mm-hmm. and are we able to expand our view to the, the different spaces places and people that might be out there even if they're not immediate family or friends or therapists um, but this acknowledgement that you are human within a human world and there are other people going through something similar to you. And I think that's a, it's part of what I term the, or what is known as the loving kindness meditation, which is expanding your view so that you don't feel alone in it. Um, but if I bring myself back for a second, I, I think a, a big thing or big answer I have to that is that recovery is a process. And it's when I'd gladly walk alongside someone until the point where they feel able and capable to take it on themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that was a really good way to sort of summarize. And I think one thing to maybe consider there is, you know, like you said, recovery is a process and I think it has different stages and different Mm -hmm. people do come along you come alongside you at different stages and sometimes it might be appropriate for certain people to leave and then other people come in um but I guess you know I I do feel quite sad with that question and because it does feel as though somebody's asked that because they were kind of left at the first opportunity um but I think like you know you've said throughout the podcast having a safe space and safe people and if that is family and friends, hopefully they'll be there throughout the kind of recovery process as a cons- consistent support for you. Mm, yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Kendra. Um, I've honestly learned so much. It's been so <laughs> lovely to speak to you. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, well, Hannah, thank you for the opportunity. It's also been super lovely speaking to you. Listening to Kendra talk about her embodied and compassionate approach to eating disorder treatment, I thought was really refreshing. I also liked the fact that she includes her rebounding and Pilates into it to give a holistic approach rather than fixating on one thing that we often see in eating disorder treatment. Next week, we'll be joined by Dave Chawner. Dave is a comedian and has recently started Comedy for Coping and has also written a book called One Man's Recovery from Anorexia. It was so amazing to talk to Dave and honestly, there's so many laughs and it was such a pleasure to speak to him. That's why I really struggle with the term comedian on a really semantic note because if you're a stand-up comic it's something that you do if you're a comedian it's something that you are and we all have down days where you're like and you can't live that life totally and it's the same with anorexia there were absolutely i never i never went days without i never went a day without eating and i still feel guilty about i thought about food 
all the time and and actually probably in a weird way because i was eating little nibbles of food here and there probably ate sort of more than i did at other times in my life when i've been well but it was like if you lose this then you have lost everything you've lost the only thing that you're not even good at but the the one thing that explains you if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe to be one of the first to hear it please also like comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may need support at the moment not only those struggling with eating disorders but also their loved ones as this can be a very difficult time for everyone Eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire individuals along their path of recovery. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, charities like Beat, Seed and First Steps have great resources. Please also reach out to your local GP to see how you can gain support for your eating disorder. See you next time. Bye!